Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's right. Or Happy Holidays yeah. or whatever, or uh, Festivus or happy whatever, Christmas. whatever it is you celebrate uh, <laughs> this time of year. No, this is right before Christmas as we're recording this, and uh, we are delighted about uh, all the things that get to go on during this time of year. It is the birthday of our king, and so it's appropriate that we should worship and uh, acknowledge our king's birthday. We don't know exactly when he was born, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can celebrate the fact that he, in fact, was born. But we're hearing about the dilemma that Christmas presents. How should we celebrate yeah, the fact that he has been born? That's, uh, that's tough, you know. So we've got uh, all kinds of articles have been written, all kinds of public statements have been made about the tough spot that churches are in, that pastors are in this year because December 25th falls on Sunday. And um, I'm thinking, well, okay, Graham, how did uh, the elders of Grace Baptist Church solve this dilemma? How much time did it take, and what kind of steps did they have to go through to come to the conclusion they did? Um, I, in fact, I don't know that it was a discussion. I don't think it was on our agenda any time that we met. <laughs> I don't so, think so. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and here's the deal. So we're meeting on the 25th, as we have always done. Uh, we don't take Sundays off to just give people a break. Um, I read one article by a pastor, I think he's up in Virginia, and he gave three reasons as to why uh, they were not going to worship on Sundays is because we believe in the Sabbath. <laughs> and people need a break. People need a rest. So we're going to give them rest. And I don't think you know what that word means exactly. But no, we, it's just what we do. Now, here's, here's a, a principal point that we do operate by. We believe in the Lord's Day. We believe one mm-hmm. day in seven that mm-hmm. God's called us to set aside, particularly for worship and rest, anticipating our eternal rest in Christ. But he doesn't tell us specifically how or when on the Lord's Day that mm-hmm. we should gather to worship. We believe right. that's a part of it. So you could gather at 4 o'clock in the morning, as slaves did uh, early in the early church, because that's the only free time they had mm-hmm. before their work schedules began. Or uh, you can meet four times on the Lord's Day, which some groups have done. I don't know if they're still doing it, but in my mm-hmm. lifetime, I know there's some Dutch Reformed churches that would do that. Or you can meet once or twice, morning or evening or, or whatever. So it's not prescribed right. how and when you meet. But yeah, you, you should gather unless you're providentially hindered. And we should be careful to not create a law where there is no law. That's to right. Not erect our own law in the place of God's law in saying, no, you know what, churches have to meet at 1030 in the morning, and that's the only way to do it. That's right. That's right. But the Gospel Coalition, uh, true to form, did publish an article about you know how we know we're not going to worship on Sunday, and uh, the the guy that wrote it, I think, is up in Boston, and he said that they rent space, and so mm-hmm. you know that, I get that, man. That's a challenge to have to set up and tear down every Lord's yeah. Day. And had he stopped there, you could say, okay, you know, I sympathize with this because you're you're having to do some things extraneous to what would normally be involved. But he goes on and he just says, no, man, Romans 14 tells us we can do this. Yeah. And people have abused Romans 14 in this whole deal, and it's it's tragic. So Grace Baptist Church will be meeting at uh, 1020 for morning worship, as is our custom, on December 25th. And uh, we will not be trying to celebrate 
the Lord's birth by neglecting the Lord's day, right? which seems to be what many evangelical leaders are proposing this well, year. Well, and the fact is, like you said, Christmas is a wonderful holiday. It's wonderful for the for Christians to be able to celebrate the birth of the king, um, but that's not law. You know, That's right. not prescribed in Scripture. We don't have to celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a good thing. It's not a necessary thing. The Lord's day is a good thing, but it is also a necessary that's thing. Right. And it's so prescribed. if one thing is going to take uh, precedence over the other, well, the Lord's day worship would take precedence over Christmas celebration. That's right. But furthermore, what better way to celebrate Christmas than to worship on the Lord's Day? I know. And I think this is a, a good example to see the confusion today and to see pastors like there's a New York Times article we'll talk about in just a moment that uh, they're saying, oh, no, no, this is a dilemma for us. You know, what do we do? What do we do? We want to be sensitive to our people. We want to be sensitive to family time. It, it provides a real opportunity to see just how far we have drifted Mm -hmm. from what the Bible says and being discipled by the Bible to being discipled by the world. Because in this sense, as you said, Christmas is not a biblical requirement for us to acknowledge or celebrate. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in the Bible are we called upon to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on an annual basis. In fact, there have been Christians uh, throughout at least Protestant history and the Puritans, there are many, many Puritans who said that Christians should not celebrate Christmas because they regarded it as a pagan or Roman Catholic holiday that had come in to encroach upon what the Scriptures tell us to do and how we are to uh, be governed in our worship and what we're to do. So it, it... they saw that because they reckon this is a cultural holiday. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, you know, it's a cultural holiday. Let's take advantage of it because there have been Christians throughout history who said, yes, you know, let's redeem this. Let's take advantage of this and utilize it. So the Bible doesn't prescribe the celebration of Christmas, but the Bible does prescribe one day in seven to be set aside in uh, a ceasing from our normal labors and to worship the living God. Mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments contain the Fourth Commandment, and I know there are people today that say, oh, well, the Fourth Commandment's not repeated in the New Testament. I don't think that's true. I think uh, Hebrews 4 does that. I think Jesus, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath's made for man, mm-hmm. not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't made for Jews exclusively, right. for man as a creature made in God's image. So there's lots of arguments, good theological arguments for recognizing the Ten Commandments obtained today. Part of those commandments, one of those commandments, is the remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, which in the New Testament we see this shift to the Lord's Day as mm-hmm. our own confession of faith teaches. So we're going to violate what we have seen the Bible to teach in order to celebrate what the culture tells us is important. Mm -hmm. That is a classic example of so much that has been eroded Mm -hmm. in evangelical life in our day. Yeah, and Ruth Graham wrote this article at the New York Times. Um, It's a very helpful, enlightening article, I thought. Um, But there are, you know, she she highlights the fact that um, many churches are having this dilemma and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And more churches this year than six years ago, the last time this happened, are opting out of having services mm-hmm. on, on Sunday. Um, and J.D. Greer is one of the pastors that she interviews there. He's the pastor of Summit Church in North Carolina. Uh, I think they got 11 different sites Campuses there like and um, 11,000 people to 17,000 people attend. 
uh, weekly services. And so they're going to be doing 17 different services between December 22nd and December 24th, Christmas Eve, but we'll have no services on December 25th. Um, and some of the reasons that JD gives there, he says, you know, people are accustomed to celebrating with their family. We want to encourage them to celebrate with the family. Um, and you know, it takes hundreds of volunteers and staff to be able to do, do these services. And so we don't want to require them to do that on the holiday. And, um, and he says there are other ways that we can worship, um, and we basically just don't want to bind anybody's conscience. He said, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't want to be legalistic. We don't, we don't want to be the Pharisees of our day and say that there are no exceptions to this Sabbath law, to this, to this Lord's Day commandment. And he points out the fact that even Jesus um, said that there's an exception as he healed the man with the withered hand. He's referring to Matthew 12. Um, but of course, of course, there are exceptions, sure. and and there are less exceptions as they are just what's baked into the law itself. What's, what's the purpose of of the law? Um, the the law is a reflection of the very character of God, God who is life itself. And so, as one is obedient to the law of God, they're coming closer to the character of God, and they're coming closer to life itself. And so, mm-hmm. Jesus says in Matthew twelve, yeah, there are three exceptions to uh, to the command to rest on the Lord's day or on the Sabbath day. He said there are exceptions for necessity. And he talks about how David goes into the temple mm-hmm. and he eats the show bread there because he and his men are starving. So they break the law in order to preserve their lives and in, in David's own life. Um, he talks about how, you know, which of you, if your if your sheep falls into a, a pit, wouldn't pull them out on the Sabbath day? And he says, even the even the priests minister and make mm-hmm. sacrifices on the Sabbath day. So there are exceptions for necessity. There are exceptions for mercy, and there are exceptions for worship. All of these connected to life mm-hmm. and the importance of life. And so absolutely there are exceptions, J.D., but the exceptions are not just whatever we have deemed is important, whatever our preferences are, whatever culture deems is acceptable, spending time with family. No, it's those three exceptions and really those three exceptions alone in Matthew 12. Yeah, and our Confession of Faith uh, teaches that. It makes very clear you know, those exceptions are spelled out there in wonderful ways. And um, we've lost that in our day. We just, we've come to a point where that no longer seems to uh, hold true to form. If you look at the New York Times article headline, and Ruth Graham wrote this article, and here's the headline, Oh, come all ye faithful, except when Christ- Christmas falls on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, what a commentary is that? What an indictment uh, that is. And it, it just, it grieves me to see uh, good guys or guys that you would respect or want to respect who just seem to have caved on this and they've, they've just misunderstood what the word says, you know, mm-hmm. now, yeah, we, you know, Christmas or Sunday is the Lord's day and it should be spent with a uh, family of God, but I don't want to be a Pharisee and tell you, you've got to worship on mm-hmm. the Lord's day when it, when it Christmas falls on Sunday. Well, that's a legalistic frame of reference in it of itself mm-hmm. because it's saying, I'm not going to submit to God's law, I'm going to operate on the basis of another law. And that is inevitably the case. That's why Jake Reformation said, look, man, pray for a high view of the law because whenever there's not a high view of the law, legalism prevails. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to live by somebody's law, either God's law or your own or whoever's the strongest at the moment. Yeah, you're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, maybe the <laughs> Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Bob Dylan. So <laughs> it's, um, it's unfortunate to see how we have degenerated in our thinking. And, and again, Ruth Graham does this, uh, she shows, I think the 
from 89% in 2016, the last time this happened, to 84% of Protestant pastors say they're mm-hmm. going to do this. And then non-denominational pastors, it's down to 61%. Mm-hmm. And basically what's going on there is just an indication of, hey, you know, we're going to do whatever we think is best here. Mm-hmm. And because this seems exceptional, and I guess in some ways it is, it doesn't happen every year, but that exception has risen to the level of it's okay then what you're doing is basically giving it a license for everybody to determine in their own mind what they think is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Christmas has traditionally been a time when families gather. Okay, well, what about if you grew up in a family where Sundays has been traditionally a time where families <laughs> gather at the beach? What are you going to say to that? What what arguments are you going to use against what mm-hmm. you are allowing for here so that to keep that exception from becoming a rule? And I don't think there's any consistent argument that can be made against that. Yeah, the Romans fourteen appeal is uh, something that is frustrating to me, and, and maybe because I've just preached through Romans fourteen, so I've spent a lot of time over the last several months looking at this. But Paul here is talking about the uh, what's going on that's threatening the unity in the church at Rome between what he calls those who are weak in faith and those who are strong. He counts himself to be a part of the strong. He's convinced that the strong are right, that all foods are clean. Yet you don't have to say, I'm not going to eat certain foods. I'm not going to eat meat out of some kind of religious devotion to God because God has made all foods clean and available to us in the new covenant. And nor do you have to keep certain days. You don't have to follow the Jewish calendar. That was a, a part of the uh, what was going on there in Rome as they were dividing over diets and days. And Paul says, look, man, uh, eat anything you want to. You don't have to observe the days. And so he makes this uh, comment about, you know, who are you to pass judgment on another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And while the one who abstains, abstains to the Lord. People have taken that and said, see there, one day you you honor the Lord's day. I don't. And I don't to the Lord, you do to the Lord, that's fine. That's not what Paul's talking about. Mm -hmm. Paul's not talking about the Ten Commandments here. Paul's Mm -hmm. talking about, as he does in Colossians 2, when uh, he uses, as it comes across in most English translations, Sabbath, but it's really plural, Mm -hmm. Sabbaths, Mm -hmm. which is uh, something that is woven into the calendar year Mm -hmm. and special occasions in the history of Israel. I say, don't let anybody judge you for that. You're not under that anymore. Jewish calendar doesn't obtain for those in the New Covenant anymore, just like Jewish dietary laws don't obtain. But the Ten Commandments, what God gave to man as man, the Sabbath is made for man, yeah, that still obtains. Paul's not talking about taking Sundays off here. You know, I was just reading uh, Leviticus 16 with some of my students and um, remembering that Moses says, this shall be the Day of Atonement, it shall be a Sabbath to you. So there's the, the the Sabbath, as is taught in the Ten Commandments, but then there's also other Sabbaths in the Jewish calendar, one of them being the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement shall be a Sabbath. So there are multiple Sabbaths for the Jew, and that's what Paul is referring to there in Colossians 2. Sabbaths as in holy days, which are part of the liturgical calendar of the nation of Israel. And so, yeah, nowhere is uh, the Sabbath law abrogated in the New Testament. I think, like you said earlier, it is uh, re-stipulated again in the New Testament. But even if it's not re-stipulated, 
repeated again in the New Testament. It still is part of the eternal moral law of God as given in the Ten Commandments and should be obeyed by all Christians. Yeah, I think what we are seeing, at least in uh, Southern Baptist circles and beyond, is this deterioration of our appreciation for God's law and the whole problem we talked about multiple times here, the separation and, and misunderstanding of law and gospel. Law tells us what God requires. Gospel tells us what God provides. And so we look to the law. We're convicted by our shortcomings. We look to the gospel. We see Christ has met all of the demands. And so in him, we are accepted. We're complete. And in Christ, we say, Lord, what would you have us do? And he says, here's what I'd have you to do. Keep my commandments. Mm-hmm. And so we do that not so he will accept us. We do that because he has accepted us in Christ. But in the Southern Baptist Convention, back in 1999-2000, there was a study committee that was set up to review the Baptist Faith and Message. And the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which was an update of the 1963, which was an update of the 1925, which was basically grounded in the New Hampshire Confession, the 2000 Confession made changes, and in my estimation, in every direction that they made changes, it was good. It was proper. They strengthened it, made it more orthodox, uh, more rigorous, with the exception of Article 8. Article 8, which is on the Lord's Day, this is what it said prior to 2000. This is what the 1963 said, and, and before that, I think it goes back to the 25 says the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It's a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should be employed in exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private, and by refraining from worldly amusements and resting from secular employments, works of necessity and mercy only being accepted. Mm. Two of your three that you just mentioned, the works of piety, that we would do in laboring for the gospel on the Lord's day, not being listed. So that was up to 2000. Here's the change that was made in 2000. Um, rather than just, you know, saying that the, this is how the time should be employed. They say you should include exercises of worshiping and spiritual devotion. And then it adds this sentence activities on the Lord's day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, I wrote to every member of that committee when I saw this proposed change. I said, look, every proposed change is good except this one. It's going. It's a retrograde, and if you're going to ask us to adopt that, then why don't we just not have a Baptist faith and message, and let's just adopt this one statement. Just do whatever your conscience tells you you should do. Believe whatever your conscience tells you you should believe under the Lordship of Christ. Everybody will do what's right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got quite a bit of pushback from that. I mean, Adrian Rogers wrote me, and uh, he was the chairman of that committee. Great respect for Adrian Rogers, but I think he blew it mm. on this. He stood up on the uh, at the podium when this was voted on finally to be adopted. And uh, I think it was my brother Bill that was on the floor of the New Orleans Convention actually arguing, you know, this is... You assholes are troublers in Israel. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> just saying, look, look, can we stop here, slow down here, and uh, when he was arguing just to keep the language the way that it was in 63, uh, Dr. Rogers said, why, if we were to do what you want us to do, I wouldn't be able to start my car on Sunday because that's a combustible uh, event and, you know, we can't start a fire on Sunday. Well, nobody's arguing for a Jewish Sabbath. Mm. We're just arguing for the fact that God gave us 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. And unless you're going to start uh, cannibalizing those commandments and balkanizing them to separate what you want, what you don't want, you're going to have to do something with the fourth commandment. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's I think why our confession calls it a Christian Sabbath. We're not. Yeah. We don't want to go back to the all the positive commands of the old covenant, the way that the Sabbath was set up there. Uh, but there is some continuity there because yeah. it is a law that's given in in the eternal moral law of God. Um, yeah, Adrian Rogers was my Presbyterian grandfather's favorite preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so I also have a lot of respect and, uh, and am endeared to him as well. Great man. Mm-hmm. A great man. You know, I love him. He, he was a bold man and courageous and humble. Um, but the best of men are men at best. And mm-hmm. I think, again, what we are seeing now is just kind of the fruit of this way of thinking, not being rigorous on the law of God. Well, so here's a question. So we have made some decisions to change our worship services mm-hmm. a little bit on Christmas Day. Um, normally we have a nine o'clock Sunday school hour and we have, are not doing that on Christmas day. And normally we have a Sunday evening worship mm-hmm. service. We're also not doing that on, on Christmas day either. So is there any sort of uh, hypocrisy then uh, on our part that, you know, we are recognizing, yeah, it's the time that people spend with family. And, um, so we're going to not have as rigorous, uh, worship services as we normally would. Yeah. See, I don't think so. It goes right back to what we said at the beginning, that we recognize there is a day we are to keep this day holy. We are to be, uh, since God's calling us with obligation to worship him on this day in ways that we're not doing regularly all the time on the other days, six days, you shall labor and do all your work. Seventh is holy to the Lord. So we honor that principle, that Sabbath mm-hmm. principle, but it doesn't tell us you got to meet four times. You got to meet three times. You got to meet this time. Uh, you got to have a Sunday school I and mean, all those things are matters of prudence that we think serve mm-hmm. this overall purpose. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any hypocrisy in it as well at, at all. I think what we are trying to do is display prudence and wisdom in honoring the day. And we've done it other times. There are times that we've changed the schedule for various reasons that seem prudential to us without violating our basic commitment that this is what God has called us to do mm-hmm. on the Lord's day. So yeah, there's discretion in that. And again, I, I remember, uh, Years ago, a good friend of mine who's out of that Dutch tradition talking about four times a Sunday. That, you know, when, if you were in their churches, you were there four times on Sunday for gathered worship. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I don't. There's nothing sinful about that. I don't think that's required, and I still uh, believe the same about that. If I had to be at the church for four different services, I would not leave the church on Sunday. It would just all be one big long service. Well, that's pretty much the way it was yesterday or the last Sunday for me. You know, I was there <laughs> afternoon, morning, morning, and evening, and then at late night. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sometimes, some Sundays they are just like that. Well, uh, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We hope that uh, this time of year when, when 165 nations, I've looked at some research, are going to, in some way, celebrate Christmas Mm -hmm. uh, next Sunday. That's a wonderful thing. 90% of the professing Christians in America will celebrate Christmas. So in some sense, people will be focusing on the fact that Jesus Christ was born. And Mm -hmm. I'm not under any delusions that everybody's thinking about the incarnation, that he's very God of very God. But it is a wonderful thing that there's still this kind of lasting Mm -hmm. remnant in the thinking of cultures across the world that is a result of the gospel having gone yeah. around the world. And we need to continue to push for that. We need to continue to uh, call people to remember Christ and take advantage of the season. And um, yeah, wonderful evangelistic it. opportunities Tremendous. involved yeah. in this. Yeah. The, the Christmas carols on the radios and mm-hmm. the department stores, they're, they're mm-hmm. cooperating with us 
yeah. for a few more days. So Merry Christmas to you. We appreciate your listening to the Sword and Trial. Appreciate all of your support for Founders Ministries this last year. It's been a wonderful year, productive year. Uh, we've got wonderful challenges in front of us as well. If this podcast is helpful to you, please share it and encourage others to listen as well. And if you'd like to know more about Founders and what's coming up and ways that you can partner with us, contact us or go to founders.org or the Institute of Public Theology.org to learn about that. We would love to tell you more and link arms with you as we head into this new year. God bless.